Welcome to Pirate Living Podcast. We are your hosts, Kristen and Karan. On this podcast, we are highlighting ordinary people living extraordinary lives. These are pirates who take small, bold actions daily to create social change. Pirate life is all about rebelling and breaking the rules for good. Creating lasting social change starts by first breaking our inner rules. After all, the hardest rules to break are your own. The pirates we highlight have dedicated themselves to creating good trouble. Today on our podcast, we're sitting down with Ben Joy Walker. Ben is the head coach for The Strong Coach, which is a program we've talked about quite a bit on previous episodes, a digital nomad, and has had the pleasure of being my coach, where he has helped me take messy pirate action in my own coaching career. Ben is dedicating to helping health and fitness coaches grow six-figure incomes and teaching them how to lead a life of freedom. Welcome, Ben Joy. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. And yeah, yes, it was an absolute pleasure to be your coach, Karan. <laughs> that was such a such a period of growth for me as a coach, and get like getting to go on that journey with you was amazing. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was like you know, just hours of tears. So, <laughs> well, what what I what I what I loved about that was it started off as, "Hey, Ben, I want to get better at steel mace." Yep. And then there was a point. And this, this happened with two, you were one of two clients I've had who started off that way. And then you eventually stopped bringing your maces to the calls Yeah, because we, we got into other stuff. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think we, we played with the mace like twice, Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that was pretty amazing. Um, yeah. And we're, we're so happy to hear, to have you here and joining us today. Um, Ben, you're living the life of a land pirate. Um, traveling the country and working in so many different places and many epic offices of the day. Um, and I know you started out uh, very different. Things were very different from you for you not that long ago um, when you were working in like musical theater and living in New York. So I'd love for you to tell us the tale of your epic pirate journey. Oh my. So I guess starting from the from musical theater, I, I was uh, a musical theater actor since I was eight years old. So I started off doing community theater, fell in love immediately. And I, I did it in high school. I studied it in college. Uh, and that was always the thing that was, um, that was a constant, like sports came and went, other hobbies came and went, but theater was always there. So I went all in on that and um, got the amazing opportunity to tour North America for two years with the national tour of beauty and the beast mm-hmm. uh, where we actually, we played Vancouver, which uh, I loved Vancouver. We were there for a week and uh, got get like that experience touring the whole country, living on a bus mm-hmm. uh, with, with a, a family of, of actors was so much fun. And I got, I got to see, like, I hadn't been west of the Mississippi before then. Mm. Um, and now I've been to, I think by that, by the end of that tour, I've been to 48 states. I've been to 49 now. I just have Hawaii left. Mm. And uh, yeah, I got to see the whole country and how incredible it is and all these cool places to go, cool places to explore. And I remember sitting in my hammock in between shows in Salt Lake City, watching the sun set behind the mountains and going, why the hell am I about to go back to New York City after this? Mm. What, what am I thinking? But that's what you get told the whole time you're in school is, or at least that's what I was told, is you got to go to New York. If you want to be an actor, that's where the money is. That's where the auditions are. Because um, even though there's theaters all over the country, they all come to New York to find the actors to do auditions. So uh, after the tour closed, that's where I went. I moved there and um, was in and out of the city for various um, theater jobs between uh, 2016 and uh, 2019. And initially I was loving it. Like I, I was, I was getting work. I got to play some really cool parts. I got to like understudy the beast and Gaston for two years on the beauty and the beast tour. And then actually got to play Gaston, mm. uh, at a, at a theater, um, like a year or two after the tour closed. So I was having a blast. Um, 
and then I found I found the steel mace, and and shit got different from there. Uh, I'd been I got certified as a personal trainer was I was while I was on the road because I naively thought that'll be a great side gig. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was woefully mistaken. Um, and as I started to get deeper into working with the mace, I was getting pulled more in that direction. Like my, any of my free time that I had, I didn't, I wasn't spending it going to voice lessons or dance classes. I like anytime I wasn't auditioning or rehearsing for a show, I was doing stuff with, with the mace. Um, at, and with that, like, even though on, like on the steel mace Instagram community, I was gaining notoriety and I was one of the leaders in that space. I didn't actually have any clients. I wasn't, I was just another person posting cool videos of me doing cool shit on Instagram. And as I, as I got deeper into that, I, I started getting this feeling that I was missing out and I was confused about that because on paper I was living the dream. Mm-hmm. I, I, I joined the actors union. I had an awesome agent. I was forming relationships with regional theaters across the country. I was getting, starting to get roles uh, like principal roles and still was going, ah, shit, I'm missing that fitness thing. I'm missing that steel mace thing. I was like, what, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. And uh, it, the, the, the last audition season I did, which audition season is January to April mm-hmm. in New York. And it's basically you wake up every day at 5 a.m. and go wait outside a cold, uh, wait outside the audition studio until it opens so that you can stand in line to hopefully get seen for the audition. Um, there, there's a lot. I, there was one audition where I, I woke up at five in the morning and I auditioned at five in the evening and spent the entire day sitting there hoping my name would get called. Mm-hmm. And as I was going through this last audition season, I realized um, I didn't actually want to do any of the shows I was auditioning for. Hmm. I was just, I would look at a show and go, oh, there's a part for a mid-20s white guy. I'll audition for that. And like, they weren't anything that I was excited about. Hmm. And it got to the point where I I was ready to stop. I was uninspired. Like this wasn't why I was, why I went to do theater. Uh, and I was looking at moving out to Denver, uh, to be, to be a coach. Everyone knows Emily Schramm. I was in talks like with her and her team about coaching at their gym. Mm -hmm. I was really excited about that. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to do it. And then I, I booked a bunch of work. I booked like a four month stretch of work, um, at really good theaters. Like one of them was a theater I'd had on a pedestal as one of the best regional theaters in the country since my freshman year of college. I was like, Oh my God, I'm working at PCLO. This is going to be awesome. And, uh, I got there and like expecting, um, expecting like really high quality, expecting to be treated respectfully and, uh, you know, for the rehearsal process to be smooth and all of that. And that was not the case. Uh, what I, there was, you know, exactly the same amount of bullshit, that there was at any other theater. Um, And that was really, really frustrating for me. And what I noticed too is uh, that a lot of the actors in the show were really jaded and entitled. Like uh, what what I, what I've realized is, you know, actors don't have a lot of power. So you give them a little bit of power and they milk it for all it's worth. So it's like, uh, we were supposed to have a five minute break 30 seconds ago. So I'm going to call, I'm going to call the union about this. And I started to get sucked into that. And I didn't like how that felt, felt really icky. Anytime I noticed myself like being catty and entitled. Um, so it was a frustrating month working at that theater. And I go to another theater for, uh, 14 weeks. And it was again, totally uninspiring on paper. Amazing. Like usually you're lucky if you get four weeks on a contract and I got 14 mm-hmm. and was miserable and would, couldn't wait for it to be over. And it was right as that theater, that last show was closing that uh, a class for the strong coach class four 
of the Strong Coach 90 Day program was launching. And I'd seen uh, friends of mine, Leo Yurkidis and Serena Beatty had both been through it. Uh, and I'd seen the transformation that they'd had. And uh, I listened to the first season of the Strong Coach podcast mm. and listening to the coaches that Mike interviewed. And I went, I want to sound like that. I want to be that kind of coach, that level of expertise in my field. So uh, the Strong Coach cost exactly how much money I had in my savings at the time. And I, I was, I was, so torn because I was so scared to go broke. And the thought of uh, going back to New York and doing that same audition grind again, made me want to collapse into tears. I did collapse into tears a couple of times. And uh, then I, I called my parents about it. They were really supportive. And then I, I called Leo, I texted Leo about it. And he goes, I just said, I'm, I'm thinking about this, but ah, the money, he goes, Ben, fuck that money. You have it for a reason. <laughs> so, uh, I got on the phone and signed up, gave, dropped all my savings that I just worked four months doing theater to, to get and went all in on the strong coach. I told my agent, I wanted to take a hiatus from auditioning and I haven't been back. Um, it also froze my union membership, which I could still go back if I wanted to, but I don't want to. <laughs> and, uh, and went all in on coaching from there. So I was working, working in New York, initially working at a gym called Mark Fisher Fitness, which is the most fabulous gym in all the land. Uh, and one of like the best job I've ever had up until Strong Coach. Such a great place to work. Uh, and then my own personal business took off. So I didn't, I, I made the mistake of waiting until I had all my ducks in a row before I left Mark Fisher fitness. And on paper, that sounds smart. But what ended up happening is I was working two full-time jobs at once and I was burnt out. I was, you know, between 145th street down to 42nd back up to 110th, then back to 145th all over the place, carrying maces around. It, it was a shenanigan. So I, I left Mark Fisher and went all in on my own uh, private coaching business. And it was around that time that I got tapped to be the next coach for the strong coach. So then I had this realization that, holy shit, there's no reason for me to be in New York City anymore. I don't have to be here. So like the first step on my nomad journey was I realized I could batch all my in-person clients on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So then uh, Friday to Tuesday, I could be anywhere I wanted. And my parents had a house in Vermont. So I'd, be, I'd go to New Jersey, which is where I grew up. I'd pop into New York City for two days, train my clients, and then go up to Vermont for a long weekend. And I remember the first time I did that, and it was the first time where going to that Vermont house was a regular part of my week. It wasn't a vacation. It was just so something I did. And that, like, that's when I, I knew I was on the right track. Mm -hmm. Like something's different here. And it started with that small step of um, being part-time in New York City. And uh, as things with the strong coach started to pick up, Mike and Danny invited me to live with them in San Diego. So, and conveniently enough, right around that time, most of my in-person clients uh, stopped working with me. So it was perfect. So <laughs> I, I flew across the country uh, and did training camp for the soul right when I got there, which that blasted me off, rewired my brain. And that's really when the nomad journey started. I was there for six weeks. And then I came home for Christmas. And then the day after Christmas, I drove across the country to uh, Hakumba Springs for a New Year's party. <laughs> and then that, like, I've been, I've been back to New Jersey once, back to the East Coast once since then. Mm -hmm. and I've been bouncing around all over the place. From, like, there it went, like, 
Denver to San Diego to Austin to San Diego to Costa Rica to the Arnold to back to San Diego. Then COVID hit and Mike and I uh, evacuated San Diego to Utah. And then I've been all over the place since then. Um, And I just finished my dream trip, which uh, is called Follow Spring North, Mm -hmm. where uh, we started in... Arizona, Sedona, Arizona in March, right when spring is starting, which is turns out is still pretty cold <laughs> down there. And uh, we camped and Airbnb'd our way all the way up the west side of the United States following spring as it goes. And uh, the whole group finished in Gig Harbor, Washington. And then I went on to Alaska where like the big capstone was I spent a week in Katmai National Park which if you've seen the picture of a bear catching a salmon on a waterfall, that's in Katmai. Those are so, all my bear friends. You got to meet in person. <laughs> yes, I did. Oh, yes. Yeah, that, that was the coolest thing about fat bear. We just like, oh yeah, uh-huh. I saw him. That was, that was great. I, I was having fun sending fight. you messages. Like, yeah. hey, <laughs> these are my friends. You met them. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's been the, uh, like the nomad journey for me. And I've just now signed a lease mm-hmm. in Bend, Oregon which has been a whole new, a whole new experience. I'm, it's, it's weird. Like this is the first time I've traveled in like two months and it was a very interesting, like familiar and also like a familiar experience. And also like, Oh wow, I haven't done this in a while. And I'm used to doing it all the time. <laughs> so moving into a new chapter where I'm actually, I'm basing myself out of somewhere and I I can adventure, but at the same time, Bend is the outdoor playground I've always wanted. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing a lot. I'm having a lot of fun um, exploring Bend, doing all the rock climbing, hiking. Ski season is going to start soon. So, you know, my, my, my life motto is fun is the point. And I'm having as much as I possibly can Mm -hmm. uh, right now. And it's a blast. It's funny how many, maybe it's not funny, but how many (laughs) of the pirates that we talk to that are leading or have at one point just really led that nomadic lifestyle. And I I remember I sent you um, a pot, one of our episodes um, was a guy that we interviewed, uh, a friend of mine named Di Manuel. Mm -hmm. And it was so funny. They're, they're based in Vancouver and they took, he took his wife and two small children and they went nomadic. And instead of following spring North, they're, motto was like following the sun south <laughs> so they follow hit the sun. yeah they follow the sun and the warmth and uh and and it's it's a theme that's come up uh you know time and again and so I'm, I'm wondering what was it about being nomadic that really drew you to that lifestyle rather than like hey bend is a really cool place and has all the stuff that i want let me just move here and settle here mm-hmm. right away what was it about the traveling that it it was a big part of it was having done it um when i was on tour Mm -hmm. two years of living that way and loving it um and while i was doing that i was on somebody else's schedule Mm -hmm. so like we could we'd go to a really cool city where there was tons of shit to do but i had a show every night and even if we were there for a week we'd have like sound check the first time. Then if it was a week, we'd usually have two rehearsals during the week, during the day. Mm -hmm. So that really only left like a day or two to actually explore the city. So there was a lot of, a lot of places that I went where I just barely scratched the surface Mm -hmm. of, of what I could see there. And like, the, the worst was like being in Colorado and looking at the 14ers and not having time to hike any of them. Mm-hmm. So um, a, bi- a big part of this is, was wanting to go back on those adventures on my own time mm. and be able to, to see all the places that I'd wanted to see and to, to do it my way where I could say, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. This is how long I want to take. Cause too, I, I hate being rushed. Mm-hmm. 
that was the other thing. It was like, oh, we got to like hurry and do all this stuff because we got the show, or we got rehearsal, or or like, oh, we got it. Like, my 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 pet peeve was like, oh, I can't. That's too hard. We have a show, mm-hmm. and in my head, I was like, but we're out here. <laughs> like, isn't it worth it? Uh, which it was to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd I'd always I had this wanderlust, this this unfulfilled wanderlust. I was like, it was really, it was a huge tease mm. going on tour. Mm. And um, I, I always had that at the front of my mind of wanting to be able to do that. And at the same time, uh, being stuck in New York, mm-hmm. because if that was how I, had, I wanted to make money, then I had to be there. Because even like other cities, like, like Chicago, um, and I don't know this for sure. This is what I was told is they don't pay you enough. Like everyone in Chicago also has to have a side job, which mm-hmm. I didn't want to do. Um, so I, I was, I, I handcuffed myself to that city. Mm. So I saw all of these adventures that I wanted to have and either felt like I couldn't have them, that they were unattainable or uh, that, that it had to be a vacation, hmm. which then too was like, when the hell am I going to have time to do that? Because if I'm not auditioning, then I'm doing a show. And I didn't do shows in very inspiring places. Like nothing against anyone from Indiana <laughs> or Missouri, but like, there's not much going on there. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, as much as like the travel aspect of that was cool, it wasn't too inspiring places. Mm-hmm. Like some, something that's been, that's really important for me is to wake up in a place where I'm excited to be there. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't excited about being in New York. Mm-hmm. So that's really is this, this trip has been a whole, a whole two years of wanting of waking up somewhere where I'm excited to be there excited that that's my home. Um, I also have a big goal of my unreasonable mountain house that has a polished wood spiral slide from the third floor to the first floor. That'll be amazing. (laughs) Oh, it's gonna, it's gonna be great. Uh, so I've been location scouting Mm. for that. That was another part of this journey is I've got a vision of like, you know, snow covered mountains and all of that. Uh, and the first step is where do I want to put it? Have you found a place that feels like the place yet? Bend is the front runner. Mm. Bend is the front runner. Although, uh, Great Sand Dunes National Park in Colorado has like literally the view that I pictured. <laughs> when I went there, I hiked on top of the like the tallest sand dune, and I went, "Holy shit!" That's exactly what I picture mm-hmm. when I when I think about looking out the window of my mountain house. Mm-hmm. So. Colorado is also a possibility as much as I want to abolish time zones too, the mountain time zone is my favorite one. If I have to pick one, (laughs) no, that that's possible too. And that that's, what's cool about this lifestyle Mm -hmm. is I'm, I like, I'm ready to go at a moment's notice. I've got a house, but if, if I've got to go somewhere, I, I know what to throw in my car. I know where to go. I know where to camp. Like I could easily, I even, when I went to Alaska, because I had all my camping stuff with me, because I was going to be backpacking in Katmai, I canceled my Airbnb after two days because I realized I've, I've got everything I need. I've got a rental car. I've got my tent. There's free campsites all around Alaska. Mm-hmm. I don't need an Airbnb. So I camped for like a week and a half, both like car camping and backpacking mm-hmm. uh, because I could. And it was really easy and I knew how to do it. So, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go anywhere, whenever I'm always down for an adventure. That's one thing like Lance and I started talking, I've loved having this place, um, where it's felt like home for the first time in a long time, but, and we're also ready to, for the first time, explore and figure out like where feels like a great place to land because everywhere we've gone has been for a reason. So 
you're very inspiring in that. And I'm glad I know somebody that I can ask and <laughs> like, we're going here. What do you su- suggest we do? And when the apocalypse happens, I know the coolest places to camp. So we're going to you. <laughs> yeah. that's what, uh, there'll, there'll be encrypted messages going out Good. with GPS <laughs> coordinates when, when that goes down. Perfect. That's kind of funny you say that because so my last job, my corporate job, I was I worked in hazmat, which uh, for like 13 years and uh, I got to see some really cool places across across Canada. But yes, I was maybe dealing with a train derailment at the time and didn't really get to have an adventure, um, but I got to find some really cool spots and uh, I was sent on this job and uh, I will the location will remain a secret and it is the perfect apocalypse spot. And we have developed our apocalypse team, mostly Canadian. You guys are more than welcome <laughs> to obviously join. Um, but we have this like very isolated, remote community that had been abandoned. There's still houses there. The only way in is by water. And we're like, I'm like, this is where we're settled. This is where we rebuild humanity during the, the apocalypse. We've got everything we need right here. Um, so yeah, so we also have a plan. Um, and if you guys are that close in Bend and, and you know, you want an actual house instead of camping, come check us out because we got the apocalypse plan as well. Perfect. It's an important plan to have. Everyone should mm-hmm. have an apocalypse plan and an entire team. Yeah, make sure it's a fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't do the apocalypse with a shitty view. No, no, no. Why? <laughs> yeah, dopeness first, y'all. If, if, if you're going to do the apocalypse, make sure it's cool. Yeah. I've seen Walking Dead. I don't, that's not where I want to end up. No. <laughs> I did. Have, has any of you read The Stand by Stephen <laughs> King? No. Because that's a very like relevant book because it's about a flu-like virus that sweeps the nation and kills off a whole bunch of people except those who are mysteriously immune to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, when Mike and I, cause he, when we went to Utah, he just kicked down my door and was like, yo, go to Utah in four hours. Are you coming? <laughs> so we drove through the night and as I'm driving, I'm like, oh my God, this is the beginning of a Stephen King novel. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in it right now. And I was like, if this is the big, be- if this is like, this is just the prologue right now. Mm-hmm. Like there's a whole thousand page book that's ahead of us. <laughs> True. This is. So tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with the strong coach then. So with the strong coach, um, what we do is we help coaches make a living doing what they love and working in their passion. Because the problem in the coaching industry is coaches get these awesome certifications and they've got all this knowledge. They could help so many people, but the certifications don't tell them how to make money. They don't tell them how to market themselves. They don't tell them how to charge appropriately. They don't tell them how to scale. They don't tell them how to like schedule their time. It's like your certifications don't tell you any of that. So like there's all these coaches out there who could be helping so many people, but they're missing the business tools. And along with that, often those coaches have imposter syndrome. You know, who am I to be a coach? Can I, what do I have to offer? Someone's already said it. Why should I, you know, add my voice to that? Or they're, they're afraid of asking for money. They don't want to sell. They don't want to sound sleazy. Um, the, the, the biggest, the biggest, uh, indicator that you're one of these coaches is if you say I'm not in it for the money because then it's like cool you don't have to have any money give it all to me I'll take it (laughs) like it's okay to say that you want to have money that you want to receive money for your services Mm -hmm. Um, so what we do is we take those two problems and we have a four-month program where we help coaches through that. So we start with helping them like dial in the vision of what do they really want? They don't just want to train a couple clients. Like what's the big massive impact, like the 10 year, 50 year impact that you want to make on the world with your coaching. And then we create a roadmap to get there. 
And along the way, we teach them how to market themselves, how to sell without sounding sleazy, how to charge appropriately, and really how to set up their business so that it supports their life, their dream lifestyle, as opposed to uh, them having to put all that on hold because they've got to be at the gym all day training clients. And along the way, we help them with uh, their own personal development as, as a person. And you know what, what is really the source of that imposter syndrome? Why is it that you don't think you're good enough to, to call yourself a world-class coach? And it's been an incredibly rewarding experience to coach that and uh, see so many transformations over and over and over again of coaches who have no clue where to start when they get into the program to then, you know, selling out their, their first round of their beta programs before they even graduate. Mm. And it's actually been really handy because I'm, I'm working on my own program right now. And it's been really funny to notice all the same stories come up. <laughs> like, oh, no one's going to buy my thing. No one's paying attention. Can I actually do this? And I, and I get to go like, oh, wow, there's that story. Cool. <laughs> oh, look at that. That, that one that I've, that I've coached like 50 people through. That's funny. <laughs> you have it too. <laughs> yeah, I experience all the same ones. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, by ha- like I get to, because I've got all these reps of helping other people through them, I'm able to go like, oh, imposter syndrome. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> Let's let, like, I know I've got this. Let's go. I love that actually that you, that you mentioned that these things are coming up for you as well. Mm-hmm. I, I remember having conversations with one of my clients about something I was going through and she's like, I'm sorry, if this was me, what would you say to me? I'm like, oh, that's easy. I would tell you this. <laughs> She's like, Karan, you need to coach yourself sometimes. Like, you're right. I know the answer to this one. <laughs> that, that's the thing. I, I can't let myself get away with my own bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> was a, a, a blessing and a curse. Because like sometimes I want to indulge mm-hmm. in that. Like, oh, I'll just be safe. I'll play it small. It's like... Come on, (laughs) come on. Like, you know, way better than that. And if any of your clients heard you say this, they would, they, they wouldn't know who I was. So, uh, it's been, it's, it's really cool to, and really helpful to be like, be someone who's in that position of -hmm. coaching coaches, because then like really all my clients are my accountability Mm -hmm. because, you know, who am I? to be a coach if I'm going to let myself be ruled by the same stories and imaginations that uh, I help my clients with. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's been reward, like working for the strong coach has been rewarding in so many ways mm-hmm. because of that. Yeah. It's, it, and I, I went through a strong coach a long time ago and I understand that there's been uh, lots of changes. I mean, it's, it's longer and, um, you know, we had Mike Bledsoe on here uh, not that long ago and just talking to him about some of the changes. Um, and even, you know, for me, the personal development side of that program was was huge. And things like, like you said, dealing with sales and the money stories. And it's so funny now that, at, you know, at my gym and where I work, I'm now like the closer. I'm the one who like, you know, if if you need to know how to get how how to like get get a client to sign up, ask her on because I don't know how she does it. <laughs> and like such a huge part of it is you're right. Like I don't feel sleazy or salesy asking, and I'm not hesitant asking for money. Like this is what it is. This is how much my services cost, and I'm I'm here to help you, and I know I can help you. Um, and it's such a different mindset around um, the whole sales conversation. Um, so yeah, thank you, Strong Coach, for that because uh, it's made a huge difference, and in, in in that even just that one aspect made a huge difference in my coaching career. If we took out all the other things, <laughs> what what was the switch for you, Karan? Um, just having that story in my head about what was what did sales mean to me, and I can't remember um, what exactly the exercise was, but like hey, sales uh, to me was sleazy, used car salesman, um, all of these things. 
that were so negative when it came to sales and having that idea of like, uh, oh, I don't want to be that negative sleazy salesman versus like, hey, I'm offering you this service that I know that could, that can help you. And like, it would be a disservice to you if I let you walk away, um, knowing that I could help you with everything that you've just told me, because I've asked you all these questions. I know exactly what you're looking for. We've dug deep into this conversation. Um, and I know so much now because I've asked the right questions. Um, and I know I have the tools to help you. And it goes the other way too. I've had this conversation with you. And if I know I don't have the tools to help you, I'm not trying to like hoard that client to me anymore. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I know a coach that coaches here that will really help you with your golf game. That's what he does. He does TPI fitness. He's like super into golf. Let me actually refer you to him rather than trying to force like this thing because I'm so scared of losing the money that might come with that client. So it goes both ways. It's like, I'm not hoarding it. I'm not scared of it. I'm also not afraid to ask and make the right decisions. And, uh, so yeah, there was a lot of um, a lot of little small subtle things that came up in the in the strong coach around sales and money um, that have had a huge impact on just how I conduct my business. Yeah, that's what one of the the relationship to money is something that uh, that we work on quite a bit, and we actually have uh, there's two rounds of of one on one calls that everyone does in our freedom program. And one of them is specifically, we're doing them right now, uh, is specifically about relationship to money. Because here's the thing, everyone listening, money's imaginary. <laughs> that dollar it's bill energy. Is, it only, it, the dollar bill is only worth a dollar because enough people agree it's worth a dollar. Mm-hmm. If well, they stopped, mo- it would stop being worth anything. It's numbers too. Most of us don't even see that dollar anymore. It's a numbers in a bank account. Exactly. So like people have this, you know, a whole array of stories of like people with a lot of money or greedy, or you have to work hard. Um, I even, this is an interesting one working with someone who said, uh, you know, my parents were really honest people. They worked hard to make good money. I was like, well, if they're, if they're honest people and they work hard to make good money, what happens if you work differently than them? Are you dishonest and make scam money? <laughs> because that's, that's what's going on in their head. Yeah. Like the same thing is if someone is, is saying rich people are greedy, which that's a huge societal story that we get told in, mm-hmm. you know, fairy tale after fairy tale. Um, well, I don't, I don't want to be rich then because then I'll be greedy. Mm-hmm. And then they sabotage themselves out of ever having any money. <laughs> and like even the, the having to say a value statement, like I'm not in it for the money. Mm-hmm. Like, oh no, I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it to help people. It's like, cool. Can you help people if you don't have any food in your fridge? Mm-hmm. Like, can you help people if like you don't have a car to get to them? If you don't have a house to live in? If you live in this society, you have to agree to use money. Mm-hmm. That's for better or worse. That's how this society works right now. Mm-hmm. So like recognizing that money's imaginary, we can tell whatever story we want mm-hmm. about it. And it is so common that coaches come in and they're sabotaging themselves out of ever having any money because they've got some belief running, running under the surface about what this imaginary thing is. Mm -hmm. So we work extensively on that. And even like take it the unlifted way and do the one word game. Mm -hmm. How much money do I need to make? How much money do I want to make? Right. (laughs) What about how much do I get to make? How much do I get to make? (laughs) I'm more excited now. Yeah. Yeah, That's, and that's the thing is people, People go like, oh, well, what shall I charge? Mm-hmm. Like, how much do you want? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, and that's how, like, that's how we teach it too, is what's your ideal lifestyle that you want? How much money does that cost mm-hmm. per month? Mm-hmm. Cool. Divide that up by how many clients you want to work with 
that's how much you charge. Mm-hmm. And it like, it's really simple. And I, I notice coaches will uh, be like, oh, I have to like add features to make sure it's valuable enough. When like in reality, the, the, the magic formula for what you should charge is based entirely on your ability to sell it. Mm-hmm. If you can sell someone on, on their own vision, then it's however much money you want. Mm-hmm. And it, like, it really is that simple. And uh, it, it's fun to like, to look at that now when like I've done just like, just as an experiment, once I pitched someone five grand for a weekend, just to see if I could do it mm-hmm. with my yeah. breath smooth. Like, where am I? I did. My breath was smooth. <laughs> she didn't have the money, but <laughs> my breath was smooth, which yeah. that was the win. Yay. And it was really simply me going, can I ask for that much for myself? Mm-hmm. And it, I, it was easy to do because I can tell whatever story I want about money. For me, money is fuel for my adventures. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I have so much gratitude for my clients. Like Karan, do you know how much cool shit you paid for? <laughs> I'm glad. Like Good I'm, job, I'm, Karan. I've gotten to do so much badass shit and it's all been supported by my clients. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've been supporting myself uh, entirely off of coaching for the last three years. So my clients have supported me to having this whole adventure that I've been on. And that's how I view money mm-hmm. as simply that fuel for my adventures. And I provide a service to them in return for it. Mm. And that's, that's it. There's no like extra virtue or value on money. Mm-hmm. It's the same as gas in my car, or food in my belly. Totally. Mm-hmm. So what is, um, with the work that you're doing, what is a social rebellion? I mean, we've kind of hit on a bunch of different things, but what is the main social rebellion that you're looking uh, to do with your work? Oh, the, this idea that you can't make a living being a coach. That you've got, I'm rebelling against real jobs. <laughs> it's a good rebellion. I don't, I don't know what the hell that means. I've never had one. Like my, my, until I was a coach, my only job was performing. I worked, my first job was at a theme park mm. where I did a, I did a drum show and I was the flash in the green lantern. <laughs> like that was, that was my first job. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what a real job is. Um, and people get this idea that you have to, you have to go work in an office or your passion can only be your side gig. And I think that is such a crock of shit because then you end up in this life where you're, you're slaving away until you retire and then you get to enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. And that makes no sense to me. And it's such a garbage narrative that, that we've been fed for, for generations. Mm-hmm. So, I want to, re- I'm rebelling against that because like I'm living proof. You're both living proof that you can make a living working in your passion. Mm-hmm. And I want to put an end to that narrative that you can't. Hmm. I remember I, I went to school to be a teacher. Um, couldn't find a teaching job for the life of me for a while. <laughs> and then eventually like I started tutoring and first time I was offered a salary, like full-time, not hourly, I was offered a salary. And I was like, I feel so grown up. And then, um, moved out to Oregon. I got another full-time job, not salaried for that one. And I was like, I should feel grown up, but now I'm wearing a uniform. I look like everybody else. And I feel like a kid again, too. Like I'm going back to school and there was, I enjoyed the teaching part, but there wasn't joy in going to my job every day. And I had fallen into that narrative so hard of this is what life is. And it was, it was not where I wanted to be at all. That was the exact same thing that happened to me with theater. Mm. And I realized that I was like the same thing happened to me as people saying like, Oh, you got to get a real job is like when you do theater, 
especially when you're doing community theater, you get the these old blue haired ladies coming up. She's like, oh, that was so great. That was better than Broadway. I can't wait till you're out to see you on Broadway. So I had that like, oh, I'm supposed to go to Broadway. That's supposed to be my dream. And it when that stopped being my dream, it was like the rug got pulled out from under me. It was really hard to adjust, but I realized that, uh, one, I was living someone else's dream. Wasn't mine anymore. And two, I made the choice to be a professional actor when I was 16. How many six of your 16 year old (laughs) decisions would you stand by today? Yeah, not many. (laughs) And that's, that's the thing is, you know, people like some, I guess, I don't know what percentage of people decide on their major early, like when they go to university, uh, but then that's their assignment. Mm-hmm. I have to go use my major. And they, they, they pigeonhole themselves immediately. And there, there's no room for any sort of exploration beyond that. There's no room for something new. And for some people, that's great. Like some people find their passion mm-hmm. there. And it's like, yeah, I will cruise through that. But for the people who who realize later that that's not their passion and they were just doing what they thought they were supposed to do. Mm. There's absolutely a way out. And it does, it does take piracy. Mm-hmm. It does take that, that pirate attitude of it. Yeah. I'm going to make my own way. I'm going to be unreasonable as fuck and uh, jump off of this cliff without a parachute. Yeah. It's interesting. I, it, I have sort of the opposite story, whereas my very first job at 15 was was coaching uh, at a community center. I was coaching ki- kids karate, and then I became a, a personal trainer at a gym, and I loved the job. And it was the opposite effect of that. I can't make money doing this. And then I had to go and get a real job, go and get one of those real careers. And I've had multiple careers during that time. And it's not until I realized that I could make a career actually following my passion that I love to do since I was 15 that like, Hey, this is a real job. (laughs) This is a real career. This is a real way for me to earn and receive money. Um, So I think there are times where we do know when, when we're young, what that passion is. We just don't know how to follow that because we, we listen to other people's stories about what a real job should be. And most of the time, those people are like unconsciously or consciously jealous of the passion that you're following. Mm -hmm. And whether they know it or not, their ego wants to come in and uh, hold you down Mm -hmm. so that they can keep their own status to themselves. Mm -hmm. Like Like the classic parent who's, you know, like more invested in their kids succeeding in sports than the kid is. Mm -hmm. And it's really, it's ultimately that parent's own jealousy of, well, I didn't do it. Mm. And Mm. you know, as much as we all love our parents, like that's theirs, Mm -hmm. that's their responsibility. And if anyone out there wants to start living in their passion and making a living that way, you got to put that stuff to the side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though like I was really fortunate to have parents who supported me the whole way. Um, But if like, if your parents didn't or your, your social circle doesn't Mm -hmm. or whatever narrative or the, the Instagram accounts you follow don't, then like, you've got to choose like, which one do you actually want to put your energy to Mm -hmm. pick the fun one. (laughs) <laughs> it's a fun one. Speaking of fun, um, you, I mean, we've, we've been at several parties together. You've been practicing your DJ skills. Fun is the point is your, <laughs> is your tagline too. Um, so what are you, what are you doing to create better, throw better parties so that you can save the world versus the people that are trying to destroy it? What, what I'm doing is inviting everybody out. Mm. Like that was the big thing with follow spring North was I like the biggest thing that made that happen was I told people about it. Like, if you want your vision to come true, share it with people. That's the, that's the best way to do it. Cause that's all I did. I told people it was happening. 
And I was like, yeah, meet me in Sedona, March 14th. And people showed up. <laughs> and then uh, like people showed up along the way who I wasn't expecting to show up. And it's uh, one of my mantras is I create the hangout environment. <laughs> so I, I create the space for people to come have fun. Because especially with the nomadic lifestyle, so many people want to do it. And they either, they don't know how, or they think it costs way more money than it does, or they're afraid of being lonely, that they don't do it. So I saw that. And then having gone out and done it by myself, I saw how uh, inexpensive it was. And I saw how easy it was, how safe it was too. And so I, I invited people out. Our friend, Sean Lazio. He was, he was like the, the beta, so to speak. I was like, <laughs> yeah, dude, like let's, let's go on a road trip. So we road tripped from uh, Colorado to the Tetons, Yellowstone, Glacier National Park, and then to Salt Lake City, Utah for a, a, a retreat. And from then on, I, I kept inviting people. It's like, come on over. Let's go. Let's go to let's go to McCall, Idaho for all of October. Why? Because uh, fucking I've got nothing to do. I haven't hung out in Idaho. Let's hang out in Idaho. Wouldn't that be cool? And what what I found is like the in terms of like facilitating the party is it's it's a simple matter of getting the right group of people together with the intention to have fun. Mm. And someone's got to send out the invitation because otherwise you just end up like, what do you want to do? Oh no. What do you want to do? Oh. <laughs> like, and you get stuck in that loop. It's like, someone's got to say, Hey, we're doing this. Well, I, I like to joke about January. Um, when the party happened at my house where we, I, I don't even know if fully any of us know what started everybody here. All I know is I kept hearing different people were coming. I'm like, Hey, I hear you're coming this way. Hey, I'd love to see you if you come this way. And then we ended up with a party at my house. <laughs> yeah, that was a somewhere along the way. I like to joke that there was a whisper on the wind that said, Hey, come to Portland, come to Oregon. We're going to have a party. <laughs> yeah. I loved how that one came together. Mm -hmm. And the, what, what, what I love about parties like that is the side effects of when you bring a dope group of people mm -hmm. together, because like at that party and it happened all during follow spring North, people were blasting off. They'd mm -hmm. get clarity on their business. They'd uh, get clarity on some like piece of childhood trauma that they'd still been holding on to. And there was a lot of deep work that went on. Like that New Year's party, especially there was, there was some witchy wizardry going on, <laughs> channeling and spirits and all sorts of shit. Mm -hmm. And, but that wasn't why we did it. We did it because we wanted to go have fun. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I've, I've had conversations with people who are like, oh yeah, you're doing like this whole conscious community and, and like really doing the work. It's like, no, <laughs> no. Like I'll say it right now, I will never be a part of a conscious community. <laughs> if it calls itself a conscious community, I'm going to go out and find some people who want to have fun. <laughs> because the, like, that's how you naturally make that stuff happen. Mm -hmm. Like people want mm -hmm. the conscious community because they want to, to grow with a group of like-minded people who want to live the same way. And when you try to make that happen, it, it becomes inauthentic and mm -hmm. often uh, egoic. And the people I've met who say they're in a conscious community, a lot of the time are charlatans. <laughs> like they're, they become exclusive and exclusionary. And there's like, oh, we're in a conscious community. You know, like <laughs> I hear, I, I remember a moment where someone said something about a community. She's like, oh, well, is it conscious? What, what what the fuck does that even mean? We're mostly conscious. Because <laughs> yeah. even, and that's why fun is the point. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, that's what that's the feeling that we're all going for. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of what you're doing. The doing is secondary. It's the feeling, whatever fun feels like to you, mm -hmm. that should be the goal. 
So I don't care if that's reading a book, rock climbing, or making Excel spreadsheets. If you feel fun when you're doing it, perfect. And that's what happens when, when you get the right group of people together to have fun is naturally leaps in personal development happen mm-hmm. and brainstorms happen. Because uh, I mean, a lot of, I know a lot of people have been to like summits or retreats and like when there's, you know, facilitation and speakers and stuff, there's some cool stuff that happens, mm-hmm. but the real magic happens in the hot tub mm-hmm. in between the presentations. Mm-hmm. So with uh, like bringing my friends out to Idaho, and then follow Spring North, it was me creating the hot tub for all of that to happen naturally. And it was so much fun. <laughs> and that was the whole point of it. Like, I'm really grateful for, for all the growth that, that I experienced, for that my friends experienced. Uh, and if, if we'd been trying to do that, it would have been work. Like you can even hear it sometimes in the way people talk. Like a lot of the time, like I hear it like play is a buzzword nowadays. It's like, I want to integrate more play into my life. Does that sound like something a five-year-old wants to do? <laughs> no, they just do it. <laughs> exactly. Like a buddy of mine, he, he asked his, his like five-year-old son a question of like, uh, about like past lives. Cause he's like, well, he's the closest to it. He's way closer to it than I am. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, do we think we carry on like our past lives into this life? And he just goes, dad, can we go play? <laughs> <laughs> Boom. That's it. Like right. mm-hmm. stop trying so hard mm-hmm. and go have fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was life working with five-year-olds play all day <laughs> somewhere. And they learn along the way. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's like, if you look at a gorilla, a gorilla doesn't get jacked because it goes, well, I got to swing through five trees today at this <laughs> intensity. And I got to make sure I move my joints. Says, well, no, it just goes swings around in the trees mm-hmm. or it wrestles other gorillas for fun. And like, that's how animals learn. And then at some point humans thought, no, we have to sit in a classroom mm-hmm. and, and learn how to do, how to add these imaginary numbers together. That's, <laughs> that's knowledge. That's how you learn. And, uh, I, I, cause I, I was homeschooled until high school and I remember being in high school and my teachers, uh, talking about like, Oh yeah, well this will prepare you for the real world. And I laughed <laughs> like, this is nothing like the real world. Not, not even a little bit. Mm. And what I, I'd even do like the, they would say like, Oh, you got to write this way. Cause that's how they do it. When you go to college, no, they don't. <laughs> Nothing like MLA formatting. I saw everyone do MLA formatting different when I went to college. Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell was the point of that? Mm-hmm. And like, you bring kids together, have them have fun. They'll learn the shit. Mm-hmm. They'll learn what they need to learn. Mm-hmm. You can let them do it. You don't have to force them mm-hmm. to, to learn these, you know, who did what, who, who fought what war in what year and what's the square root of my left ass cheek. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like all of that is useless mm-hmm. if you're not having fun. Mm-hmm. Well, Karan, you have a question. I was trying to see, I'm like, is Karan going to ask something? <laughs> no, I was just going to say, where can our listeners go to find out more about you and what you're doing? Uh, mm. best spot is on Instagram. It's Ben joy Walker on Instagram. And that's where I'm talking about all the adventures I'm on and, uh, where, where you can, where you can see what fun is the point looks like, mm-hmm. because I, I make it a point to live that way every day and go see some pictures of my bear friends in Alaska. Yes. I've got pictures mm-hmm. of the bears up there too. <laughs> <laughs> we may moved, uh, houses and we're only like seven minutes away from where we lived before but there's no bears here we were right next to the forest in our old mm. house and uh there's no bears in my driveway anymore and uh, i'm sad about that and i need to move seven minutes back the other way towards the forest let's go find the wildlife mm-hmm. yes. go play with them absolutely cuddles 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and how would you recommend that our listeners start their own pirate journeys? Hmm. Start small. When, because I think a lot of people get tripped up with like, oh, I've got to sell all my possessions and move into a van. And that's a big jump to make. But going from living in an apartment in a city to living on the road, big jump. Some people can make it. Um, some people need to work up to it. I worked up to it. Like my first step was staying on the East Coast and living part-time in New York City. That was my first step on the nomad journey. So when I do goal setting with someone, after we've set the goal, the first question I ask is, what is the smallest action you can take to move this goal forward? The smallest one. And start there. Because then if you, you, you end up getting ahead of yourself and uh, looking at the whole elephant instead of that first bite that you're going to take. So make it small. Good one. Small bites. I think we've heard that elephant one a few, or maybe that's what my friend Patty likes to use, but I've heard that elephant (laughs) one a few times. Like, yeah, how do you eat the elephant? One bite at a time. (laughs) It's one of those cliche things that people like to gloss over because like, oh, it's a cliche, but like, it's still accurate. Mm Mm-hmm. Like it's a cliche for a reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to eat it one bite at a time. That's the only way you can do it. Yeah. There is not a living thing in the world that could eat an elephant in one bite. Nope. <laughs> oh, and, and, you know, there's our enlifted, very enlifted saying from Mark England, action dispels overwhelm, right? So when you're looking at this big picture and you're like, where do I even freaking start? You start with that smallest thing because that little bit of action is going to help to break that overwhelm. Um, cause you do just have to take one step at a time or you get to take one step at a time. You can't take 10 steps at a time. <laughs> and I've even, I've noticed this with, uh, with rock climbing. Mm. I've been rock climbing a lot cause bend is awesome for that. And the thing with rock climbing that people don't realize is you climb the rock with your feet. Your hands are just there to hold you onto the rock. You actually raise yourself up with your legs. And usually, if you don't know where to put your hands, it's because you have to move your feet. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, when I'm stuck in one of those places, where do my hands go? I move my feet up a little bit. And then when I stand, I go, oh, <laughs> that's where my hand goes. Mm-hmm. So, it, it is take just taking that little, that little step up of like, huh? Oh, right. I can, mm-hmm. I can do that now, but you have to take that little action instead of going for that huge, big reach. It's going to stretch mm-hmm. you out. It's like, well, step your feet up and then you're higher. And then you can actually see where you're putting your hand. Mm-hmm. That's a great analogy. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, um, Oh, were you going to ask the question, no, Kron? You, please. <laughs> Your turn. <laughs> we want to know. Our, our favorite question is, do you know any pirate jokes? Ah, yes. I had one. I put it in the, I put it in the intake sheet and then I forgot what it was. Um, shoot. I don't off the yeah. top of my head. I feel like an idiot I now. I know what yours was. Yeah. How do you, I can tell you how it started. Oh. You didn't put the punchline yeah, tell, tell me how it starts. So I'll ask you and then you can give us the punchline. Yeah. <laughs> how do pirates know they're pirates? Oh, <laughs> they think, therefore they are. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Do you know any pirate songs? We haven't had singing yet. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know any pirate songs. I, I know a lot of musical theater. <laughs> I don't know a lot of pirate songs. Are there a lot of pirate songs? Oh, there's like those shanty songs, but they're not yeah, really pirate. The, the first song that comes to mind is the SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> song. Oh, man. Uh, well, this has been fun. Uh, having you on here ben and uh yeah thank you for joining us and hopefully everyone go check out ben and what he's doing uh Mm -hmm. with his own stuff and uh, with strong coach yeah thank you so much for having me on and uh yeah if anyone wants to get out on the road and start having fun shoot me a message Mm because you're invited 
Awesome. And I, I just saw in the news that apparently in about a month, they're actually going to open our borders between Canada and the U.S. Wait, what? In yeah. a month? Yeah, in about a month. Get down here, Karan. Yeah, yeah let's right? all go to Bend. Here. Yeah. Yes. Go to Bend. Party in Bend. <laughs> Ben, ben. I would what say ben ben. also now come it's... to me and then we'll go to Ben in Bend. <laughs> yeah. So we're looking at mid-November party in Bend, my house, everyone's invited. All right. Sounds great. And sometime party in my house, uh, a friend of Kara decided she found a good spot to put her DJ equipment. And I'm like, I have to have another party. <laughs> so... Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> figure out when, when we can get her back from Canada. Yeah. <laughs> well, the same time as I can come back. There we go. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Pirate Living Podcast. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at Pirate Living Podcast to keep up on the latest community news and find out about our coaching programs. To learn more about the Enlifted program that we mentioned on this episode, visit www.enlifted.me. Make sure to let them know you heard about them on Pirate Living Podcast. To upgrade your communication and create magic with your words, visit www.procabulary.org and use code PirateLiving50 for $50 off. And until next time, keep creating good trouble. It's rock and roll, guys. There are no rules. This one goes to 11.